Hey everyone, it's Pete. Thank you for choosing Sacred Cows tonight for your listening pleasure. Before we get to the show, here's an update on what you can expect from us in the next couple of months. We know how you hate surprises. In March, we're meeting up with David Stewart for a rumble in the Bronx. This 1996 Jackie Chan film is a classic of the prop fighting genre and is more than indirectly responsible for the Rush Hour movies. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Join us. In April, prepare to die. Laughing. We are excited to announce that we'll be joined by Mike DeJong and returning guest John Caulfield for an uproarious discussion of The Princess Bride. The only thing more inconceivable than you missing this nostalgia fest would be getting involved in a land war in Asia, but only slightly. Okay, folks, that's our upcoming lineup. Hopefully we'll be talking to you again real soon. Apart from right now, because here comes the show. All right now, uh, let's see. 4.30. Is it time to knock off for the day? Uh, Sorry, Mr. Producer, you've just got one more appointment on the books. Damn it. I got a date at the nudist Abazi joint uptown, and that place gets so crowded after five. Sir, what you do in your spare time is none of my business. Now you've just got this last meeting for the day. Ah, it's a rough life I got. Okay, who are these jokers? Well, let's see. It looks like they're representatives of a certain Mutant Enemy Productions. Mutant what? This sounds like a real two-bit operation. What do they want? They're here to pitch you some ideas for a proposed sequel to Serenity. What the hell is Serenity? I never even heard of Serenity 1. It's a movie they made a while back based on a short-run show called Firefly. Now you remember the Space Western? Space Western? Ha! Sounds like a show I canceled 15 years ago, back when I was working at Fox. Space Western? It'll never play! Nevertheless, Mr. Producer, they're here, and they do have an appointment. Yeah, yeah. Send them in. I'll let them down quick. I want to be uptown eating sushi in the buff in 20 minutes. Really, sir, you don't need to divulge the details of your personal life. Gentlemen from the, uh, what was it? Mutant freaks? Uh, mutant enemy, Mr. Producer. Yeah, yeah, whatever. So, Firefly. Okay, sell it to me, because right now I think it sucks. Space Western? It'll never play! Well, then I think you're gonna really like what we're gonna tell you today, then, Mr. Producer. We get it. You're looking for something fresh, new, modern. Something that breaks us out of the old failed cycle and gets us back with the times. Something that your studio can really bank on to appeal to the youth of today. All demographics, really. Not just the kids. Mr. Producer, we We give you Serenity 2. Yeesh. These guys are really annoying me. Gob, why don't you gentlemen just (laughs) hurry up and tell us your ideas? Okay, Firefly was like the opposite of Star Trek, the unenlightened frontier of space. Let's make it even opposite-er and set Serenity 2 underground. No. Well, now, uh, what if there's a river of evil slime underground that makes artwork come to life? That wasn't a good idea in 1991, and it isn't a good idea now. Okay, the Reavers. They were seriously bad guys in the first movie, but now the crew of Serenity will get their revenge by beating them in the Galactic Drinking Olympics. No. A singing contest? No. 
Um, male stripper contest? I'm listening. No. Well, what if they're in medieval Japan this time? Oh, 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 the Old West. The far future. Psst, that is where the show is set. Look, I'm going to help you boys out and rescue my evening plans by telling you an idea I thought of just now. Serenity, the gender bender reboot. A spaceship full of cowboy ladies. But like, half of the crew of Serenity was female. Well, this time it's all broads. Except maybe we can get the rock as the shepherd or something. That guy is box office gold. You know, that isn't a half bad idea, Mr. Producer. It isn't? Of course it isn't. That's why I make the big bucks. But I appreciate the compliment. Here's ten dollars. Why don't you go see a Star War after work or something? Why, thank you, Mr. Producer. Your praise means everything to me. So let me see if I've got this straight. You want us to go back to our boss, the creator of this critically acclaimed television property, and tell him that you want to film Serenity 2 as an all-female and The Rock space adventure because that will play? That will play. And now, if you don't mind, I've got to head uptown. I have a date. Gentlemen, this meeting is over. Well, now, hold on. There's more to talk about here. I mean, there's more to talk Nope. It's final. And I'll tell you what. Since I want to see this thing you know succeed, we'll even get this Joss Whedon guy I keep hearing about to direct it. You know, he's behind the Marvel and DC movies these days. He'll turn your crappy space western into something worth watching. Now beat it. Um, okay, I think we're good with that. Yeah, uh, I think that sounds workable. Okay, we'll go back to our boss, and I'm sure he'll be more than receptive of that. Run! Well, I must say, I think things went pretty well, all things considered, Mr. Producer. Mr. Producer? Oh, f***ing sticks. He left without his pants. Wait, Mr. Producer, come back! You need your pants until you get to the restaurant! What what if the paparazzi sees you? And you left your wallet! How were you planning to pay? Wait, I don't want to know! Oh, Mr. Producer, you're going to be the death of me! I just know it! It's Sacred Cows Tonight! With your hosts, Mike and Pete. Featuring Disembodied Voice Guy. With special guests, Sean Faust and Rob Weeks. Featuring the Sacred Cows Tonight Band. And now welcome your hosts, Mike and Pete. Welcome to Sacred Cows Tonight. I'm Mike. I'm Pete. And today we have with us Rob Weeks. Hello there. And Sean Faust. Howdy. And they're here to ostensibly talk with us about the TV show Firefly, a 13-episode, one-season wonder that spawned a movie and a comic franchise and has a fun, interesting history, and we're going to talk about it. And it's a topic that we have been assured that these two gentlemen know nothing about, so this should be an interesting uh, Completely in the dark. 14 episodes, by the way. Sorry. To... Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Well, I wasn't going to correct him on his own show. Did you miss one? No, I didn't miss one. I have the box sets. I've had them for a long time, but I, I don't know why. Lucky 13 just popped in my head for some reason. That's usually a first season number anyway, is 13. So That might be I'll it. Give you. But 
Uh, well, Sean, since you you're you're talking first, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, you know some project that you're working on that you'd like to promote? Well, I started out as a child, very young. I was born at an early age, and <laughs> currently I am working on What Does It Matter podcast. It's a podcast about life, the universe, everything, and sometimes it's kind of about nothing. A lot of foul language, a lot of nerdy talk, and just it's a good old time. Sounds like a Hitchhiker's Seinfeld mashup. Life, the universe, everything, and nothing. That's you know, that's kind of like it, except we haven't talked about Hitchhikers or Seinfeld, so that's pretty bizarre. With, with a lot more adult concepts <laughs> that maybe kids shouldn't listen to. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You are correct there, sir. Well, you don't know until you try. <laughs> so. Okay. <laughs> All right. And uh, Rob, what, uh, tell us about yourself and what you would like to promote. Uh, hi, I'm Rob Weeks. I'm a Sagittarius. I run a chicken farm in Central California, and I work on a whole bunch of things. Uh, the two that have been released so far are Dumbprov Podcast, which is an improv comedy podcast, which is not for children. In fact, it has a disclaimer at the beginning. And Firefly Podcast, which is the only podcast available for the past three years that uh, extends the Firefly universe. And cool. my, my, my children. Let's let's promote them for screaming in the background. I think that's self promotion on their part, but you know, get their get their uh, get their voice out. Finally, there. a live studio audience. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I've got you pumped into the uh, lobby there. Yeah, Pete's been waiting ever since GeeklyCon. I know, Mike. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So these guys are are avid listeners of our show. I've been told. And uh, you may have heard Sean correct us on uh, several occasions for things that uh, we've got wrong details here and there because he is a movie buff. Uh, I believe Rob is as well. Thank you for that, Sean. Well, my pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Rob, I love being corrected. (laughs) That's why you got married, right? (laughs) Exactly. Well, you know, I wasn't going to say that, but yes. (laughs) Now as you mention it. Oh. Guys, let's talk about Firefly and... We have to have somebody do a 10,000-foot view or a 30,000-foot view, I guess, of the whole 14-episode series. We're going to leave Serenity out of this, other than we probably will mention it after we talk about everything, including the verdict, just no, for a little Serenity bit. No, Serenity now! <laughs> just kidding. Um, but Yeah, yeah. So what is, what is Firefly? That's what we're looking for from uh, one of you two can uh, kind of fight over who wants to take the honors or who doesn't. Uh, as it's often the case. Before we get in the 30,000-foot view, um, why don't you tell us about your first exposure of Firefly, and then we can come back and, and go into that 30,000-foot view. So what was your first memory of Firefly? Yes, when did you first expose yourself to Firefly? I had actually seen Serenity twice before even watching the show. I had rented it because it looked like a cool movie, really enjoyed it. And then about a few months later, it was on cable television, And we were like two minutes into it, watched the entire movie. I was like, wow, I really want to know where these people came from. I really, really do like this movie a lot. Netflix had the DVDs by mail. That's how long ago this was. And the first disc came in, and after the second episode, I canceled the rest of the DVDs from Netflix and just went on Amazon and ordered them. And it's just been a love story ever since. All right, Rob, what was your first uh, exposure slash memory to Firefly? When I was young, I believe it was in junior high, uh, my friend and confidant and pastor of the church I used to go to introduced me 
to Serenity. Well, he tried to. He invited me to see the movie, and I said yes, and then I never went. And then I wanted to watch the series first, and he said, here's the DVDs. And then I never watched them, and then the movie was out of the theaters, and then you fast forward to, I don't know, 10, 15 years later, and I watched the entire series in one night and cried a lot. But luckily for me, I missed one of the episodes, even though it was on Netflix, I missed it. And I picked it up again two years later and I got to experience new Firefly over the course of like 15 years. So that was, that was pretty advantageous. Then I watched Serenity um, and I loved all of it. I mean, not to spoil my review or anything, but we have no idea which way you're going to swing. So it's okay. Right. Right. We're complete. We are a panel of uh, completely, uh, non-biased jurors i'm pretty sure based on these experiences that we have although there have been you know times in on in the sacred cows tonight's history that we have said we really love something and can't see how it's sacred at all so you know that's possible too however if i were a betting man i'd say the odds are pretty good on this episode that uh i know what's gonna go so hey pete how what is your first exposure to uh firefly uh okay so i was aware of firefly i think around ish the time that it was airing because i remember my brother told me that it was really cool and it's like oh uh yeah yeah kind of like uh that genre of space western like cowboy bebop and all that kind of stuff of course i paid absolutely no attention beyond that and didn't watch any of it uh until i saw that it was on netflix maybe like four years ago and i figured i ought to at least give it a try didn't finish it sorry it's not that it was bad i just didn't get around to finishing it i got to the i think it was episode 11 the second one with the chick from Mad Men, and then mike says hey we're gonna get on this podcast and do firefly and you better watch it because these guys are really serious and so I watched it. I got it from the uh, video rental store, and I finished it for the first time just a couple of days ago. Yeah, man. Yeah. Mike, it seems you might have some time here to tell us about your experience with Firefly. Uh, yeah, I think uh, my first experience was uh, when it was airing on Fox, I, I kind of caught half of an episode because I was hanging out with some friends and really it was just on the TV and I'm like, Oh yeah, that looks pretty interesting. And that, that was it. And I didn't really, you know, it was like in the dorms or whatever in like a big TV lounge. And I was just sitting there talking with other people. It wasn't even like in the front of my brain, but other than like, yeah, I guess I know about that. Uh, fast forward several years later and I'm visiting, uh, my friend's apartment in a different city, same friend. I was actually hanging out and he's like, yeah, we never got into Firefly back in the day, and uh, I really love it. You should you should take a look. And I think I took his recommendation, and I, the next time that I saw, you know how Amazon, uh, at least they used to, you know, back when DVDs were the big thing, run just crazy sales on, like, box sets of DVDs. I think I paid, like, oh, 10 yeah, bucks that. for the the whole yeah, sure. shebang of Firefly, and, like, uh, Serenity was, like, an additional... Uh, uh, five or six, you know? So I just picked them all up and then like, I loved it after that point. So I had the DVD set and then, uh, I, I think I watched it probably every year after that. Um, until maybe a couple of years ago, uh, I kind of put it down and then, um, 
when they came out with the the uh, Blu-ray set, then I picked it up again. And uh, yeah, so I I'm not as deep as as these guys. I haven't read all of the side fiction and stuff, but I I have it all on Blu-ray now instead of the the DVDs. And you know, I I dig it out every couple of years. Well, that for makes sure. you serious enough for me. So let's go to that thirty thousand foot view summary. So Josh Whedon reads this book about the Civil War, and he says, hey, you know what? I want to have the Civil War somewhere else, not on Earth. It'll be in outer space, but on different planets that the company from Aliens have finally mined, gotten rid of the aliens. Now people are living on these planets, and it's, it's still a Western. I don't know how we went from the technology that we have today to living in the 1800s in the future, but somehow it happened, and somehow it worked in a beautiful way. Anything to uh, add to that, Rob? Anything uh, crucial that might have been missed? No, not that I could think of. All right, so now is the point of the show. If you haven't watched Firefly and you don't want to be incredibly spoiled, now's the time to pause the episode and go watch Firefly, all of it, all 14 episodes. Whole thing. And then come back. If you are okay with spoilers, we'll be ready for you here. So, all right, we're letting you pause now. Guys, how do we want to start this? I think that we should let our guests pick a topic to start with first. Oh, I was going to start with space, the final frontier. These are the continuing voyages this is, of somebody else's starship. Right. <laughs> this is really the opposite of Star Trek here. This show is, is what I got from my viewing. Well, Josh Whedon said this is where um, th- these are the planets that the Enterprise would just pass over and ignore. That's good. That's Which is or there would be a, a quirky episode where they're like, oh, this is a pre-warp society, so we must put on headbands to hide our eyebrows and uh, <laughs> walk among them with cowboy hats, maybe. You didn't see all the Klingons in the background on the different planets they landed on? <laughs> Well, this is a world where Han Solo exists because he's frozen in carbonite in every episode. (laughs) See, now that's one thing. Does he exist? If he actually exists in this world, then that means that these are a society of giants or the Star Wars franchise exists, which would make sense since this takes place after our Earth is gone. Well, these are Earthlings, and they make... Pop culture references. The only one I can think of right now is the "Cry Baby Cry" lyric from yeah, uh, the, the Beatles. Beatles song. Yeah, <laughs> so the Beatles exist, and if they exist, why can't Star Wars exist? They, exactly. I okay. I, I agree with you. Uh, you guys are actually. I mean, even though you're goofing around, you're you're getting to a good point. This so Star Trek's premise was: what if we solved all the problems and then we went to space? This series is what if we took all the problems to space basically yes mm-hmm. yeah and made them worse <laughs> wow. this is this is the opposite of the great escape like we're not getting away from anything here we're in fact we're reverting and making old problems new again right that that was that was that was one thing i noticed the other thing i noticed about it is um as far as the vibe of the serenity ship that i'm getting uh, itself is that the the theme of them is a family. That's that's my thing. Found family, made family. Um, am I wrong on that? Found family footage film festival. Yeah. Well, 
you you were right up until the found family footage festival, but it's definitely a family, absolutely. And even even though that Mal and doesn't really like Simon and to begin with, you could kind of see how they even grow in fourteen episodes. How it's just you know, but you are part of my crew, and even his and Rivers. I know I'm probably jumping the gun a bit here too, but his and Rivers' uh, relationship doesn't really start until much later on. Yeah. Yeah, and it really culminates in the uh, movie that we're not talking about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wait, there's a we movie? We must not talk about that movie. I think we we'll have to at some point. <laughs> um, what, what I take out of it is it, it's, it, it's a show about a family that's sort of forced together by circumstance and choice because they're all choosing to leave. You live here and they can leave at any time, basically, is the idea. Um, and uh, how they deal in this uh, world that's still messed up um, from the war that just finished, basically. That's about, yeah, I think you nailed it. I, I do want to backtrack really quick, though, by the way. Sure. Because it's not that it's a universe in which Star Wars exists, because in the episode Shindig, the Starlight Intruder from the Star Wars graphic novel Dark Empire is in the background. It's true. Yep. This is true. It's when Kaylee's looking at her big dress. Yeah. No it kidding. It flies overhead. And lands. So there's all kinds of Easter eggs that we apparently just don't know about, is what you're saying? Oh, there's a ton. Oh, my God. You guys didn't watch the BuzzFeed video or something? No. There's a ton of stuff. <laughs> what I'm hearing is that I need to watch this show more than once. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. what I'm hearing. Okay. Can we understand a couple of fundamental things about this universe, I guess, the Firefly universe? Um, God, so there's this movie that comes after the shows that I just can't talk about, but I got the impression from the beginning of that movie that this is a kind of a low tech spacefaring, uh, civilization of all humans in a single solar system that like maybe don't have faster than light. It's not like they're going across the galaxy, like in Star Trek, right? Like they're just hopping around to like planets in a same, in the same system. Yeah. It's surprisingly inaccurate in the speed that it would take to get from one solar system to another. It is also um, what would you call that? It moves at the speed of plot. So <laughs> exactly. there are right. five main systems and each of them have subsystems. Uh, and I don't know which ones get revealed in the movie and which ones get revealed in the TV show because I'm not that big of a nerd. <clears throat> I have Firefly podcast. Uh <laughs> But they do move between from system to system, from planet to planet, and you would think getting from one planet to to another in real life would take you years. Uh, it is more like going from, I don't know, Baltimore to, you know, Chicago. I remember in one episode specifically, Wash says that, you know, somebody so-and-so wants to go to this planet, that's two hours from here or something like that. It's the one where the soldier that they picked up was going to die or something, or did die. Yeah, there was that episode where uh, they tried to stay off the radar of everybody, um, where Wash is like, yeah, it would take like uh, three three days to get somewhere, and then like by by having you do this, it's going to take us three weeks, you know? I think it was even less. That Wasn't it like just like some hours, like like 36 hours or something? I don't know. It seems they move fast, you know? Yeah, quickly. And there's there's canonically there's no faster than light travel. There's no teleportation. Um, there is really quick travel, I guess. But there's one thing we don't know how fast they actually move 
because of the invention of the inertial dampeners. Hmm. Okay. Because you can move at Mach whatever you want if you have artificial gravity within your ship. The outside forces of inertia aren't affecting you. So what we call light speed or warp drive, they might just call putting the pedal to the metal. It's it's not going to be fast enough to compare to warp drive, I would think, or any sort of wormhole travel because there is no elongation and no stretching or shrinking of time. But they're basically going as fast as you can go without ripping the fabric of space-time. And if Which you think about physics tells us is about the speed of light. Almost yeah, basically. So they're just a little bit slower than the speed of light is their maximum speed canonically, if you think about the science of it, assuming uh, suspending disbelief to assume that inertial dampeners actually exist. Okay, so getting off of the science track, I think what uh, Rob said that before is more accurate. They move at the speed of plot. That's <laughs> that's probably the best. Yeah, that thing. too. Uh, what I think is so interesting about uh, the crew, I think, I mean, uh, the characters are, are definitely the main draw, I think, in this show. Uh, obviously, you have the, the background of, you know, the war and all of these things that happen, but... When you, when you get on the ship, they make sure that you know that, um, you know, uh, Mal and Zoe were in the war and you see them fighting and that's how the show starts. You learn what the war is about, the basics of it. But, you know, you're starting to learn that things aren't what they seem, um, at least from the Alliance side, uh, later as they go into the series. But then you also learn that the different crew members don't necessarily agree with the captain and uh, what he was fighting for. You know, you find out Inara voted for unification and things like that. And obviously, Simon was just a wee lad, and and but he came from a wealthy family that was in the in you know the uh, in big with the alliance and things like that. So all, the core all, worlds. And yeah. then of course, uh, Shepard is com- book is completely uh, a mystery to the, for during the series um, as other than the little things they drop. But you get all these people that don't necessarily agree, but they come together, they bring all their different viewpoints and things like that, and they function as a family group. That happens to rob and you know do fun heist jobs. What I thought, I, one of the things I thought was very cool that, I, that was um, in some ways that the society is, is back for, or you know regressed from our current society, um, some things have moved forward. When you look at those core worlds, I mean, it looks like a scene from the Capitol and the Hunger Games. You know, everybody seems to be pretty decked out in, in, you know, fine garments and, you know, nobody's dirty. They ain't got shit all over them, basically. You know, they're not uh, wallowing in the dust like everyone on the Outer Rim. I'm confusing some terms here, but... um, (laughs) No, you're, you're nailing it pretty well. The outlying uh, planets and stuff like that. So it seems like there is civilization, but... It seems like there's a just a hell of a lot of social problems and stuff that keep these uh, crappy outlaw types uh, petty thieving and shit, you know, is what I'm trying to say. In, in the verse, there's a definite class system going on, and it's referenced in a few of the episodes. Uh, trash is one that is referenced quite heavily and played upon. It's a huge class system, a, a multi-system class system. Even so much as one system is considered lower class than another. And by system, I mean solar system. Like, if you're on the wrong side of the tracks, you're from Murphy. If if you're well-to-do, you're from the White Sun system. And there's, even within the White Sun, then you've got the sub, you've got the planets and the subsystems where they have, like, a dwarf star as their sun. 
And so that's like, you know, the suburbs. So what what things um, of that do you see in the series? Which which things are, are can we expect if people um, are looking for them? Uh, you know, themes like that. Well, if uh, if we're talking about somebody that's never seen it before, because there's a there's a whole community around people that watch it every year, twice a year, three times a year, like I do, to where you just reexamine things on a granular level. And it's been out for so long that you can sit there and really talk for an hour about one scene. Uh, that's, that's how true. much we're, we're just wonks like that. Well, plus you don't have eight seasons of a show to yeah, slog through if you exactly. want to do I a mean, full examination. I can roll through the entire show and the movie in a day if, if I call in sick to work. It's <laughs> no big deal, you know. But there are also grand overarching themes, and sadly to say, one of them, not sadly to say for the theme, but uh, to, contextually, one of them is equality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and treating people like equals because it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or you're you're this or that or anything else. You're equal as long as you can get the job done. On the rim, that's how it works. Now, in on the white sun system and whatnot like that, it's a lot more the class system, like I was saying. Um, but there's a very big theme of I don't care who or what you are as long as you're a good person and as long as you get the job done. And I, th- I think that that's something that people can look for. They can also look for um, sort of the weird chivalry code is a theme in this show. It's, it's the Wild West, but there is honor amongst thieves, and that's a pretty cool one. Only certain thieves. Yeah, well, I mean, it depends. Like, you patience can be, is still a dick. Yeah. yeah, you can be jack of all trades, or you can be patience. Yeah, it's, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Badger is somewhere Shepherd in between. Book even says in the first episode... Yeah, <laughs> Badger's Badger's uh, Badger's just looking to do right by Badger. Yeah, Badger's lovably uh, obtuse and an a hole. Yeah, but but you look at Shindig; he's making sure that he doesn't look bad, even though he doesn't want anybody else getting killed. Yeah, yeah. But Shepard Book says in the very first episode, when he's just looking at the ships, and Kaylee calls him on it, that you know you're not looking at the destinations; you're looking at the ship. That's why you're coming on mine. And he even says, like, it's it's about the journey. It's not about the destination. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he that's pre- he sums up the entire show saying that. That's a very it good really point. Too. And, well, and I mean, the theme of family through this show is just they're, they're a family. They're on a journey to nowhere, really. And mm-hmm. they're just looking out for each other. They just their adventures take them to exactly the same spot where they were before. Poor. You yeah. know, if this were Cowboy Bebop, scraping by to get some instant ramen, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. You know? Oh, yeah, which was which was definitely an inspiration for the show. That's the biggest journey that you see. I'm mean, like, like the outside world doesn't change, but uh, Sean alluded to it earlier, is that the family unit um, grows and changes, you know, in during the series. I think, to me, it didn't finish, but, um, you know, Jane basically is... At the beginning of the series, he's all basically waiting to just to turn on the captain on a dime, and then he finally does on in Ariel on the Ariel. Is that the name of the episode? Ariel. He turns on everybody, oh, and he sells you know tries to sell out the Tams, and uh, well, basically the captain comes back and uh, you know finds out about it and you know makes him pay and says like basically you, you turn on them, you turn on me, and I think this is this is the. Uh, amped up version of the talk that sometimes happens in families where like, you know, listen, you know, you're either, (laughs) you're either part of this family or you're not. 
you know, because you've done something wrong. Well, there's also a thing with Jane that carries over into the movie as well, where, and I'm not going to get too spoilery about it, but you watch the entire show and Jane is constantly questioning Mal. Like, why are you making this decision? Why are you making that decision? But you get towards the end of Serenity and he's kind of like, you know, do you think he did it? Do you think the captain got through? And he's really like believing in him instead of just questioning every motive. Everybody questions the captain. He's not an iron fist, you know. But Jane's the one that does it the most. Mm-hmm. That is the truth. You can see his progression from, from the very first episode all the way through the movie. And there's multiple, like, there's, it's, it's a, a roller coaster, really, with Jane, with his morality. And there are times, like, in um, Janestown, where he's talking about his past and the things that he did. And everyone thinks he's a hero, but he knows that he's not. The only reason he cut the money loose was to save his own skin. And he's ashamed of it. When mm-hmm. episodes later, he turns on his captain. So there's this weird moral code that he lives by that is that is evolving as the series evolves. As the series he was ashamed on. in he was ashamed in Janestown because he was just Jane being Jane, but everybody for some reason thought that he was noble and honorable and yeah. he felt self conscious about it, I think. Well and then I mean, since I assume everyone has watched Janestown at this point, when the boy gets shot, that's that's like really a that's a his turning point. moment. Yeah. So you look at that and, and and there is a point where like he's ashamed because he lost the money. Then there's a point where he's ashamed because he was a bad person and he knows it. Do you think in Ariel that he's somewhat ashamed that he's uh turning the Tams in even when he tries to do it? I don't think he cares about the Tams in any way shape or form. I think he's ashamed that he betrayed his captain. But it was worth the money and as soon as he realized the money wasn't coming, that's when the shame hit. At the end of that episode, he asks the captain when he thinks the captain's going to kill him to please tell the crew that he died for some other reason than betraying them, basically. Yep. He cares about what they think about Absolutely him. Absolutely he does. Definitely. Since we've kind of started talking about the characters but haven't delved into them, I don't think we want to like go through a personal uh, exploration of I each mean, one. But did any of you guys have like any characters... Like a single character that you thought really stood out from the rest, Shepherd uh, Book, for for good or for bad. I'm with you, Sean. Definitely All right, Shepherd we've got an, for me. Yeah. an yeah. early starter here, Shepard Book. All right, why? He's the moral code. He's and he's always the one that's saying, "Hey, here's a way around it." Even though when they go to rescue Mal mm-hmm. at Niska's place, he's like, "Oh, it's it's very uh." What, I can't remember what the exact dialogue is, but, you know, the Bible is uh, quite specific about murdering, but it's fuzzy around the area of kneecaps. So he knows there are these ways he's got to do the right thing and he's going to do the right thing by a person that their relationship is strained to begin with just from the moment they meet. You know, please don't pray at my table and all that stuff. And he somehow ends up being his counsel. He, they somehow end up being these friends that really do care about each other. And Shepherd Book does have this sketchy little past that we don't know about even jubal early knows that he's not a shepherd Mm -hmm. and he's but he's he is the moral high ground of that entire crew for me the standout is always gonna be wash just because i identify with him so much because he's the the troublemaker and the jokester 
he deals with bad or hurtful situations with humor, which is what I've, like I told my mom when I was six, she was like, no, I was making her laugh. I was in trouble and she was picking me up from somewhere. I had to go home and uh, I kept making her laugh so that she couldn't yell at me all the way home. We had like a 30 mile drive and she was mad because it was like 10 o'clock at night. And she said, you can't keep making me laugh because then I can't discipline you. And I was like, Telling another joke. And then she laughed again. She Perfect. says, you know, you can't use humor as a defense for your entire life. And I went, why not, mom? <laughs> so Wash, definitely uh, I identify with Wash. And I think that he really is the humanity, the underlying humanity, not necessarily the innocence. I think I think every member of the crew represents uh, an aspect of a human. Good point. And I think that Wash represents like the just your everyday workaday Joe, just average human. Do you play with dinosaurs at work? Uh, yes, I do. Sorry. They're called chickens. <laughs> That's true. Ah, yeah, ah, little T Rex. I just yeah. love the the episode where they're introducing how Mal met everybody, and uh, when Wash oh is there, God. he's just God in a Hawaiian shirt so and you know not well kept up at with all. The mustache, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a super fun episode. That's my, my favorite favorites. episode of the yeah. entire show. <laughs> Mike, got a standout that you can think of? I was in the book camp, but all the reasons that Sean said are true. So. Uh, um, Sure, I guess sure. for the sake so we can talk about more than two, um, uh, I guess I will go with I'll I'll go with Jane. Um, Me too, Mike. I enjoyed watching Jane much more than not not much. I enjoyed watching Jane like all of my funny funny haha moments of the show. Pretty much, Jane. I just I liked his journey. I liked his journey because I felt like yeah, he's a complete utter like jerk and pretty much unlikable in the very Dude, first episode. And then he, how he changes to being sort of fairly decent guy by the end of the series and uh, that thing that we will not talk about. So uh, the character Jane is pretty good. So I've, I've got a thing. I, I mentioned earlier that I see every cast, every character as a different aspect of humanity. But also I look at them as different stages of life. So when you look at Jane, to me, he is like pu- puberty to young adulthood. And that's where you get his going from being this just, uh, I, I, I'm a rebel. What are you rebelling against? What do you got? Like, that's where he's at What'd in the you beginning. Got? Yeah. He's listening to Limp Biscuit in his room. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and he's got the, like, the weird haircut where it hangs over his eyes, but it's shaved in the back. And Man, I'm a 90s kid, aren't I? Uh, but then he progresses until, you know, he becomes responsible for himself and, and other people. So that's when he grows up. I'm just, I'm surprised nobody picked Mal. Mal, I, d- I do like Mal quite a lot. He, I think, of course, being the noble character, um, sometimes makes him a little more limited than, say, a Jane character who's like, let's just blow everybody sky high. And I'm like, yeah, wait a minute. Maybe we should go with Mal. <laughs> uh, he's, defi- he's definitely a big plot driver. He's not just like a captain who like presides over an ensemble cast of super interesting people. What I do like about Mal so much is that he's like the dad in the fact that he is wise, he has beliefs, and he's completely clueless in a lot of ways. Been around the block. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Especially like anything. Well, he uh, makes the same mistakes that everyone else right. makes. Hashtag dad bros. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
yeah, the the Yabba what is totally that totally encapsulate his character. <laughs> Guys, I had a little trouble watching uh, River. Um, I didn't necessarily like that character so much at the beginning, and here's why. It's uh, well, I didn't really like her that much even at the end, uh, and I'm sure they would have had a lot of time to develop that character a lot more. But I have a little trouble with the like the escort quest that you know is just going to get you killed like (laughs) in video games in movies like she is at the best of times uh just a a baggage to haul around and protect and at the worst of times she's like actively getting them into big trouble so it's just like oh you know it's like throw up your hands type of a moment well river's doing something stupid again so i'm sure they would have you know they already started to explain a lot about that character um, and would have developed her far more, but I was just wondering if I'm alone in that uh, that respect there. River has never been my favorite character, but in the series, my two favorite uh, things that River does is the one when she dances. Um, which one is Dude, that? I was that's in Safe. It's it's not one of my favorite episodes, but Safe. Okay, the, yeah, where she goes and dances with everybody is yeah. beautiful. It's amazing. It's and she's a trained ballerina. Oh yeah, and right. she's amazing. She's just an amazing dancer, and you can almost tell that Joss's direction was just, "Hey, go cut loose to the music," and she does. And I, it was just such a pure moment in that I don't think she was acting. I think she was just being Summer Glau, and I loved that. And then the other one is when, well, basically it's a it's a cadre of events. Whenever she's real, real creepy, because I just kind of dig that in a girl. <laughs> I do like when she tells Jane that she can uh, what fry yeah. his brain or whatever. <laughs> I can kill yeah. you with my brain. Yeah, I can kill you with my brain. <laughs> I did what about appreciate her when she the went Bible. To... Oh yeah. What's that? Oh I'm yeah. Sorry. No, my bad. My bad, bro. Yeah. She goes through and she oh. fixes the quote unquote fixes the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Early quantum physics, getting she, all those animals. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She sees Shepard's oh, hair, and she freaks out. Oh, it's so good. Such a good scene. She It'll definitely has her moments. Wait. I like the one where she's talking to Badger in that, like, she, oh, like, totally, yes. you know, BSs in, like, yeah. an East Ender accent and stuff, and he's like, who the hell is this then? This all does make more sense when you consider the movie, obviously. Um, you, you know, it can, it kind of, it, it feeds it in hindsight. Like, oh, okay, now I can kind of understand what rivers come from. But there, there was a lot more uh, development to do with that character, let's put it that way. But Objects in Space, the last episode, is kind of the, the preface. Of the movie. In, in case you haven't uh, seen the movie yet, River is the widget. She is the MacGuffin for yeah. the entire series. I mean, you can tell by watching the series, you know what's happened to her, basically. You know that she is the linchpin for this entire thing. At some point, they're just going to be retired old smugglers if it weren't for her. So she is the impetus for action. Um, and in the movie, that definitely gets explored more. The movie is a replacement for the five seasons that should have happened after the first one. So you shove all that info into one movie, and it's going to be very focused on one character. So that's that's all we're trying to say with that. But um, but yeah, no, I, I I can I can tell that River is not everyone's favorite. Definitely not my favorite. Like I said, I only have the two things that I really loved about the character. Um, but the one thing that I that always bothers me is when somebody says that they didn't like River because she didn't make sense. If you watch the series and you watch the movie, 
she makes sense from word one. Every single thing she says is so meticulously accurate and planned out by the writers that you can go back and listen to it. It's, that's where I said, you know, it's like the Matrix of sci-fi. Because the first time I watched the Matrix and she calls Keanu Coppertop, I didn't, I didn't remember that when I realized that they were all, you know, in the Matrix. So there's, there's a ton of things like that. That character makes you know, like you said, absolute sense. I see what that character is. It yeah. just, uh, you know, like you said, wasn't my favorite, and that's it's, really a good she's way to put she's it. the Deus Ex River. <laughs> there you have it. She's the luggage. They're also, they're also the youngest on the ship, right? Too River is like in her early twenties, yeah. and Simon is like late twenties because he's a doctor. I think canonically, she's supposed to be like eighteen. Like she's still okay. barely, yeah. barely a kid. Okay. Well, and and obviously uh, stunted quite a bit because of the the things that happened to her, the trauma. Oh yeah, definitely. yeah, indeed, indeed. Maybe we should talk about uh, I don't know favorite moments from the series. So each of us pick a favorite moment or a moment that impacted us the most. As far as least favorite, I would say that it has to be the part in Shindig where what's his name gets real uppity with Inara. I didn't like that. I, I know it was, I don't know. I just really don't like the whole ownership jealous thing. Oh, uh, it yeah. It really bothers me in all media. Well, that was a character we were supposed to hate for Yeah, sure. it's, but it's, it was just so cringy, and the actor pulled it off too well. It's one of those things like, I hate the guy that played um, <laughs> Lu- Malfoy in the Harry, be, because, or like, sure. I, I hate the kid that played Joffrey. the king in Game of Thrones. Yeah. yeah. I, I hate that actor as a human being because he did such a good job of yeah, those being brothers suck. horrible, you know? Um, so that's my least favorite. I, I have a real like anxiety problem when it comes to things that make me cringe and whatnot in media. That's why I don't watch like embarrassment comedy and whatnot. Uh, because I just sit there like in Practical Jokers. Oh, my kid loves that show and I can't stand it. <laughs> or Hitch. <laughs> Watch Hitch and just like my butt's twitching the whole time. It's just like it's like I've got sciatica, but it's coming from anxiety. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's what that scene did to me. But it was great to see the end of the episode and, and get his comeuppance. And one of my favorite little sequence of lines comes from that. And it's the uh, uh, what is it? Mercy is a sign of a great man. Well, I'm all right. Well, I'm not that bad. And he just keeps talking on it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. So it is that's, good that's, it's, it, that, that episode is a real roller coaster. And on Firefly Podcast, we uh, I think season two, Acer did me the honor of, of, no, season three, letting us go through something similar. And it played out exactly the way I wanted that episode to play out. So I got to redo that episode on my show. And it was so, so immensely satisfying from a role player's point of view and a fan. So that's that's my cool. least. I'll have to think about my most favorite. Um, you know what, I, I guys, I didn't really like. I didn't like the last episode of the of the show. Are you talking the, about the, the funeral? The that's dude, Jubal early. Jubal early. He's talking about objects in space. Yeah, the uh, Jubal. Yeah, the 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 bounty hunter guy. He 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 was just well. First of all, the overt rape threats kind of weren't super great for primetime TV in my th- thoughts. Yeah, it was on at 8 o'clock at night where I'm from. Yeah. <laughs> Kids might yeah, see this. <laughs> but he he just kind of had an annoying personality, you know, just like kind of 
strutting around like a super badass uh and then like getting all poetic about like pseudo philosophical you know kind of eye rolling dialogue at times it was just kind of like well this doesn't feel like a very good obviously it wasn't meant to be the end of the series but it didn't even really feel like a good season finale um if that's what it was meant to be or even a mid-season finale or just anywhere to end it like they i don't know i didn't like that I'm not a huge fan of the safe episode. I know I mentioned that earlier. I love River's dance scene. I love how we get her emerging a bit more out of her shell in that episode. But overall, it just doesn't really do a lot for me. I like how it starts the Shepherd book. Oh, you know, who the hell is this guy? What's that card mean? But it just makes it look like this is like the children of the corn kind of planet where, oh, we need these people. Oh, you're a witch. Like... Haven't we gone beyond that, even in that kind of a society? Like, people still believe in witches, like it's, you know, the 1500s or a Shyamalama Ding Dong movie? I love that episode. I love that whole concept. Okay. That's cool. Good, we found something you love. <laughs> well, I mean, I, lo- you, I love the entire series, but, like, just in contrast, I'm, I'm huge on um, paranormal activity type of stuff. And that, to me, was like when you reach these people that are true believers and every knock in the night is a furbolg or something. Just to see the the blind passion because their world is so small, their bubble is so small, that, I don't know, I'm, I'm a big fan of things like uh, uh, Animal Farm and Lord of the Flies and stuff like that. So anytime there's a, a, a societal microcosm that does something like that, it interests me. It, it's kind of my bag. Like, it's just, that's, I don't know why I key into that, but it's highly entertaining to me. Mike, Mike, got any good or bad or ugly scenes? Well, I was just going to say, uh, I actually was was uh, on the, not a big fan of Jubal Early thing, but it was kind of, it, it's for the same reasons that you said, but also, um, I don't know. He just creeps me out personally, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's a hard episode to watch, you know. <laughs> but I guess if I have to pick something else, you must hate two things in this series, Mike. Come on, you can do this. Yeah, I'm, I'm finding it. I'm finding it pretty, pretty tough to think of any one thing. Okay, so let's go back around for likes, just in the same order. So, uh, Rob, what is your like your favorite thing in the show? The the hardest, I think it's easy to point out my least favorite things because there's so few things that I dislike about the show. I think that the biggest thing that I like about the show is every single character, every single actor on the crew and most of the bit roles are so believable in their delivery. This is probably the single most well-acted TV show I've ever seen in my life. I don't for a second have to suspend my disbelief that any single one of these people are the characters that they are, which I think is it comes at a detriment, especially for Jewel Stady, because, man, there's so many people that just bring strawberries to her meet and greets and she hates them. Oh, so it's like it's really bad. And she's an amazing woman. She's been in so many more things since this, as has everyone. It's like there's such good actors that there's no way. Like I can I can see why people just have a hard time making the leap from Kaylee to Jewel Stady. Because she played Kaylee so well that she was Kaylee. 
that's I think probably my number one because if they weren't as good as they were, this show would not nearly be as good as it is. I think the only person I haven't seen in anything else is um, Simon Tam. I'm still trying to think about favorite things that happened. I guess I did like all the backstory stuff, like the episode where they all met, but I did get a special feeling when I saw Christina Hendrick. Is that her name? Yeah, Christina Hendricks. Saffron. Yeah. Yeah. I liked, I liked the episodes with her, and I'm glad that she was recurring because um, she was too. a good character. And plus, you know, I so I watched Mad Men and enjoyed Mad Men for years and years before I watched this. Um, so I, you know, I always like I, I get a, a small thrill in the thrill part of the brain when I see actors I recognize, and there just weren't a whole heck of a lot of actors I recognized on this show. Which is surprising. Well, I mean, it depends on the the genre of your choice, but it's surprising because. Um, I mean, I, I recognized a few for sure. Uh, yeah, few you've extras. seen Deadpool, right? Uh, yes, I have seen Deadpool. Okay, so and you, Ma- so you, Marina seen... Bakkerin was in that. Right? Yes, and okay. she was in V. Yeah. And then there's and of course the I recognize. <laughs> I recognize Nathan Fillion from Doctor Horrors, Doctor Hammers, uh, Doctor Horrible Sing Along. That's so what good. it is. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> the hammer is my thanks for the assist on that but uh but i believe we're to sean now uh as far as likes uh something that you really liked in the show i love the out of gas episode it just there's something about that one that just really that and more stories because anything that has to do with their past and what makes them a stronger family i'm really all about and that I know some people don't like bookend episodes where you know it starts with something from the middle or the end and brings it together, but out of gas, just really, these are things you already know about these people to begin with. So you know that Kaylee's horny. You know that Jane's going to screw somebody over the first chance he gets. Just little things like that I really liked. I, I, and you guys mentioned earlier too, Wash with his mustache. How do you not love that? <laughs> the best ever. I... I, I... I, I thought that was a good. That's a good pick. That's a great choice. It's it's also the most bottle episode like thing of that series as well. I think absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that uh, my favorite episode probably was the one where uh, it was the one where they're doing the heist because uh, Sapphire had basically been found. You know. Trash. 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 Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, the one with the Lasseter. Uh, so it's it's when Saffron when they realize that Saffron isn't necessarily Saffron. Right. <laughs> I shaved my beard for you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Poor Monty. Damn you, devil. Woman. I feel like everybody's dumbfounded that whole episode, or at least you think they are, except that, you know, the, the Serenity crew is one step ahead of Saffron the whole time. You know, and you don't know it until the end. It's like Ocean's Eleven. Exactly. Right. And I, I love that. I mean... The f- the flip-flop. Who's ahead of who at any right. given time. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And, and I love that. But I love that when Mal's in the room with Saffron and her... Um, the guy she actually cared about in, in, in life uh, and, and was desperate, you know, so she is doing this heist with them and all of the different like flip flops and emotion and stuff that are going through their faces and Mal's face just reacting to all of these new developments is priceless. The 
dynamics of the characters and the chemistry that they all have with each other and everything goes to Mike's point, goes to Rob's point, goes to everybody's point about how believable the characters are and how they really sell all the scenes that they're in. Uh, So that's a good pick. You know, I I feel like uh, the only character we really didn't talk about, I mean, all of, like, we've mentioned, like, every character around the thing is Zoe. So I think we should probably just talk about her. One of the things that I that I liked about her too was that her her dry sense of humor, you know, the the way that she was written and and the way that uh, I don't remember the actress's name, um, the way the delivery that Gina Torres. Gina Torres, her delivery with that, you know, always with Mal, you know, Mal was the goofy one and she was the straight person, and just when always questioning that or agreeing with him in just the right way to make it funny. And I, I love that, mm-hmm. especially with she's patience. a soldier, and oh well, yeah, <laughs> uh, she didn't trust her at all, and she just, you know, knew that Mal was doing something stupid, but was just gonna have his back, and she, uh, without getting into the movie too much, but the whole thing about her demeanor, no matter what, is that she's a soldier first, and that's just who she is. That's just what drives her is that she is a soldier, and that she's gonna get the job done. No matter what, and I'm not saying anything, I'm just saying no matter what, she's going to see that the job gets done before she thinks about herself in any situation. But she does it with style and pastiche. (laughs) Is that the right word? Yes. Oh, wow. Good word. Yeah. (laughs) She's probably, uh, she's probably, um, Mal's biggest supporter, like goes along with everything he says, but they also kind of feel like they're equals in many ways now that the war is over and he's not her sergeant anymore or whatever. They kind of make decisions together, knowing that he always has the final word, but he very much uses her as the sounding board for what's a good idea, what's a stupid idea, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then he goes with the stupid idea. If Mal is the dad of the crew, then Zoe's definitely the mom of the crew. And oh, that absolutely. comes into that comes into play when uh, Wash gets kidnapped, which is hilarious. Yeah, but yeah, it's just, <laughs> of course, it's, sir. It's yeah, very much. Um, the role that she plays is stern and serious until suddenly she's not, and that's why I love Wash because she he brings that out of her. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. They they have such a good chemistry when they're together, and and uh, you can you know see the both they have a goofy smile on their face all the time. Quick trivia fact: uh, Neil Patrick Harris was actually originally slated to be Wash, and that would have been a real weird dynamic, because as much as I love NPH and he is an amazing actor, I couldn't imagine anyone being Wash than who we got for Wash. I mean, Steve the Pirate. Yeah, exactly. It's good. Yeah, exactly. It's good we got one. Yeah, yeah. NPH ended or, uh, up on the right Alan place Tudyk. when he went to How I Met Your Mother, I think. All right. So I think with that, does anybody have any other things before we uh, take a break? Yeah, it's funny that you, you mentioned Neil Patrick Harris because the uh, he was like the Gestapo guy in Starship Troopers, <gasps> and the yep. uniforms that they wear in Starship Troopers are the same uniforms that the Alliance Army wears. Like, literally the actual no same kidding. uniforms the on same the uniforms. movie set. They stole them. Oh, wow. Wow. I, you just blew my mind. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the helmets. It's the first giveaway. Do you want to know more? Huh. No <laughs> kidding. I love Starship Troopers. There's a million... Things like that in Firefly. Just a million connections, and 
just things that branch out into everything Hollywood. Hey, Pete, did we get any questions from Twitter? By Jove, we did. And that means I will make my monthly visit to Twitter to look. <clears throat> Why the very first one is from Wash at Browncoat Trucker asking... <laughs> I'm assuming that's Trucker. Uh, what are your favorite Mandarin phrases from the show? And when I saw this one, I was like, what the hell were we supposed to have them memorized? But hey, you guys probably do. Shay Shay. Uh, Gosa. Gosa and Meme. Those are the two I use in actual speech. That Well, Ni Hao, but I learned that from my kids' uh, PBS TV. Huh. Don't they say Dong Ma? Dong Ma. Dong Ma. Dongma? Yeah. Uh, Ni hao is hello. Gosa is... Uh... Judy. Yeah. And Meimei Poopy. is little sister. Which is, Meimei is just like small, small in Mandarin, if I remember correctly. But it's used in, in a sentence or in a colloquial way as little sister. Uh, also, uh, do you think Mal... And Inara would have hooked up if the show wasn't canceled. No, can we can we speculate? Yes, no, because uh, Inara was going to die. That's why she was leaving the ship. And that's why I say yes because it would have been a Mulder and Scully moment. It would have happened, and then she would have been gone like the next day, or vice versa. One of the yeah, okay, poetic like just complete poetry. Uh, Mal dies in battle the day after they consummate, and then she's she's cured somehow. I think uh, I think they would have probably, in my opinion, uh, got together at least if Serenity is any indication. I don't know. I felt like it was going. It was the 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 will you will they won't they kind of thing uh, that other shows do. And I think that's why they would have stayed away from it because it is the will they won't they thing. Where I mean, look how X Files just retconned that whole thing. Now, I don't think uh, Whedon would have let that happen. Without knowledge from A Shepherd's Tale, what do you think book story is? I ooh, I always thought of that. I always thought he was an uh, an operative. That's I know, I know. That's bringing I'm the movie with you. Yeah, but that's what I thought he was. No, but it, but it makes perfect sense, and because and since you said it and you brought it up, there is that scene in the movie where Book's telling Mal exactly what the operative is going to do. How would he know that unless he was? Yeah. And look at the way he got treated, too, just handing over his card when he got shot in the one episode. And they were like, oh, we got to leave him. He hands over his card. They're like, oh, okay. You know, it's kind of like yeah. they're kissing his ass because of who he is. Basically, is. In, in that episode, that is that is like the only indication you get in the actual series. But it is such an indication considering how the Alliance treats just uh, 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 rim humans as chattel. There's just nothing. There's no regard for life. They don't even. They just don't care about them. But all of a sudden, he gives his ident, and oh, royalty. It really cues you in that he is a a big uppity up with the alliance in one way or another. Plus, Jubal Early being like, you know, that ain't no shepherd. You know, basically, he could tell that. Yeah, this, right, yeah. right. This is somebody who's you know combat trained. <laughs> he just caught him off guard. On top of that, I have to imagine that as secretive as the agents are, they also function with full autonomy. There has to be a Hall of Fame somewhere. Given the fact that Mal knows Jane will turn on him, 
given enough incentive is provided. And River is a high-value asset to the Alliance. Why did Mal leave Jane with Simon and River during the hospital heist on Ariel? Why not Mal and Jane together, then Zoe and the Tams? Well, the plot demanded that somebody get betrayed. Yeah. I mean, you can't have Jesus sitting next to Judas when he's talking to the Romans. It, it doesn't work that way. All right. Well, thank you, Brown Coat Trucker, for all of your questions. Uh, we appreciate that very much. Thank you, Ted. We should probably take a break. And when we come back, we will do our verdict. All right. And now we are at the moment that you've all been waiting for. We're going to determine if Firefly is sacred. Woo, de Tian Ah, or my heavens, which is sacred. Or if it should be put out to pasture. Zao Gao, or damned, which is not sacred. So um, I think it's fair to ask our uh, guests to go first unless they want to delay their decision. So um, Rob, Sean, who wants to go first? I call Pete since he's the, he's the newbie. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, okay, we can break with tradition in order to to do this. Yeah, um, well, as I stated before, this is my first full go-through of the episode, of the, uh, the series, and I have to say, it was totally, totally sacred. I thought, obviously, obviously, upon watching this series, I was like, wow, excellent writing, perhaps the best chemistry, well... I take that back. I was going to say the best chemistry of any like space show, but I think a lot of the Star Treks have very good chemistry as well. But this is good chemistry, good writing, fantastic acting, um, and engaging plot lines. It was just very good, well put together, and you could tell you could tell there was a lot of love behind it from the people who were making it, the people who were starring in it, and obviously the fans, the people who loved it did so because they could sense all of that uh that that uh, blood sweat tears heart and soul that went into it and so i am going to say that this is definitely sacred and i think it is a damn shame that it was cut so short i i feel remorse on that respect with that as as a veteran brown coat i very much appreciate your new blood to the family i want since you on your first time through have declared it bovina sanctorum I would like to have Mike's judgment last. So so I'm calling on Sean. Being that I hadn't watched it in a couple of years because I had loaned the uh, the Blu-ray set to my father because he liked Castle. And just getting to watch it again uh, last week leading up to recording this and just noticing little things here and there and just having, you know, just been a part of the Brown Coat community for the past how many years with the Brown Coat Ball and Can't Stop the Serenity. I I don't know. Something about it this time around made me realize that, yeah, of course, this is definitely sacred. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Keeping us in suspense. Dun, dun, dun. I'm very much looking forward to the books that are coming out. I it, There's the movie. I mean, come on. It, it's, there's there's the comics. There's the graphic novels, which are just the comics put into one book. And now we've got the book series that starts in uh, October. It's exciting. When I grew up listening to Star Wars nerds talk about all the Star Wars stuff, I never thought, hmm, I will love a piece of media that much when I grow up. I do now. And it's this. So I will give you my rating. This is uh, this is not only Bovinus Sanctorum, this is the single best piece of media I've ever consumed in my life. 
no joke. I've been a musician for 16 years, not not as good or as long as Sean in any aspect. But this transcends even like music for me. It is the one piece of poetry in motion that I can identify with so completely that I can actually say I am a brown coat. I would never say I'm a Trekkie. I'd never say I'm a Star Wars fan, whatever those are called. Um, anything else? Not even like I, I, Black Sabbath is my reason for being a musician, period. I'm more of a brown coat than I am a Black Sabbath fan. Yeah, this one is not only not only sacred, it is uh, forsaking all others. Wow. It's the Holy of Holies. This is the Holy Grail for me. Uh, and I put it on par with the other probably, I'm going to say two shows that hold equal ground. And that would be X-Files, just because I grew up on it. Uh, I, I, I recognize the flaws in that show. And The Twilight Zone, because that is the single greatest piece of sci-fi that is ever been committed to film uh and i consider firefly to be on par with that yeah i hated it no i'm just kidding <laughs> no i <laughs> the nervous laugh uh, i i don't know how to follow up uh your glowing uh review of it uh with if i say anything just say not sacred and we'll no get i'm on with it. i'm saying i <laughs> <laughs> no I, I i'm voting sacred i like i said while rob was uh uh, away from the microphone for a bit. Uh, I I have this series on Blu-ray. I had it on DVD, and I watched it for a number of years uh, beforehand, and I, I like it every time. I do get something every time. I think there's a lot of um, of substance to this, and there's a lot of different points of view. And I can tell that this show was made by a group of people. Even though it's Joss Whedon's universe, it's Joss Whedon's vision for that universe, there is a group of people behind this that that uh, love it. And, of course, Joss Whedon would go to continue to um, work with those people on other properties that he uh, makes, you know, Dr. Horrible, et cetera, down the line. There is a little something for everyone in this show is what I'm trying to say. Uh, and it... I think it shows, even though this universe that is 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 uh, has problems and is fractured, these people come together as a family, and uh, you know figure their stuff out. And in that way, I think it's hopeful, in in a way that a lot of uh, other media maybe isn't. I'm very I'm very happy to for this to be a unanimous decision of Bovinus Sanctorum. Thanks, guys. Thanks, uh, Sean and Rob, for joining us. Where can people find you on the, the vast interwebs? Uh, I can be found at WTIM Podcast on the Twitter-verse and on Facebook.com slash WDIM Podcast. It means what does it matter? The show's about anything, everything. Don't let your kids listen. There's a drinking game that you'll probably uh, I've be in talks within listening. three minutes. Yeah, it'll just kill you. Don't play it. But if you do, just do it in three-minute stints. Uh, what Does It Matter podcast, wdimpodcast.blogspot.com. And you can also find him at seanfaustmusic.com, where he releases Firefly tunes and also original music. Not that the Firefly tunes are not original. <laughs> they, are, they are also <laughs> original like Sean was uh, saying, you can find me at uh, Firefly Podcast. You can find the show Firefly Podcast in all its incarnations. Every single piece of social media you can think of, uh, Firefly Podcast. Me personally, Zombie Slag with two Gs. And I've got a bunch of other stuff that I do. 
Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much where you can find me. And I love interacting with people. So tweet at me, uh, email me, fireflypodcast at gmail.com. Like, I, I adore interacting with brown coats. It's one of the best things that I get to do uh, since starting Firefly Podcast is that I get to meet all these people from just, I think I've got a Firefly fan on every continent at this point, except for possibly Antarctica, but I'm not sure. And it, it just makes my heart so happy. Even if I, even if I don't do another podcast for the rest of my life, meeting the people that I've met doing this and being part of this fandom has, has been amazing. It's improved my life a hundredfold. So I just want to say thank you to everyone that has uh, participated in the brown coat family. Cause it's just, it's amazing from Sean to Mikey Mason to Wendy over at sending a wave. The only other firefly podcast in existence. It's, it's improved my life so much that uh, I, I really consider every brown coat a part of my family. Pete, where can people find you online? Uh, well, as you may have heard, I'm on the Twitter and uh, I'm at not underscore wheat underscore Pete. It was funny at one time. So if you uh, if you Twitter at that, um, I will respond probably because Mike or my wife Ashley told me to get my ass on Twitter because somebody said something about me. And Mike, where can they find you more traditionally? I am on Twitter at White Morph. We are on Twitter at Sacred Cows Pod. Uh, you can also email us with your episode suggestions or long-form comments, sacredcows at heroeoftheweb.com. I think we've covered everything that we uh, possibly could. Thank you for listening, everybody, and, and joining us in this conversation. Stay shiny and keep flying. Sacred Cows Tonight is a production of Sacred Cows Tonight. Executive producers Mike and Pete. The sketch Serenity 2 was written by Pete, Mike, and Eli Ramsey. It was edited and produced by Pete and performed by Mike, Pete, and Sean Faust. Main portions of the episode are edited by Eli Ramsey. Want to contribute your sketch to Sacred Cows tonight? Email us your script or proposal to sacredcows at heroeoftheweb.com. That's sacredcows at heroeoftheweb.com.